You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So, Father, we want to pray amen to everything that Deacon Manley has just prayed. Amen to the great truths of Romans chapter 8. And amen to the reality of your love from which we can never be separated. And it's now because of that love and in that love in which we stand, in which we live and move and have our being, it's because of that love that we ask now that you help us by your spirit. Help us to hear, to receive what you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today's passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, tells us three things that we as Christians should do. Let us draw near, verse 22. Let us hold fast, verse 23. Let us consider others, verse 24. We just heard those verses. We can see them plainly here in the text. Verses 22, 23, and 24 give us a pretty straightforward one, two, three of what we as Christians should do, which means this is an easy passage to preach, okay? In fact, true story here, I've preached this passage before when I was 20 years old in a small church service in the country of Slovenia with a translator, and I didn't know a thing about preaching. I just figured that this passage was clear enough, easy enough, clear enough, that as long as I just said what the text says, it'd be okay. And I'll be honest with you, that's my play today, all right? I'm the same thing. I'm, I, I, that's, that's all I'm trying to do today. But because the passage is so straightforward, I want to try to explain what's going on here by reversing the order of the argument. I think this is going to help us let the passage sink in a little bit more. Well, the, the writer of Hebrews here is making a logical argument. And as readers, our goal is to understand his argument. We want to know what he means. And so he, he starts we see here in verses 19 to 21, and he says clearly, therefore, since this reality is so, states the reality. Then in verses 22 to 25, he says, let us, let us, let us, one, two, three. That's the order of the text. This is reality. Therefore, because of this, we're going to do these, these things. But what I'd like to do is I want us to start with what we should do. The one, two, three of verses 22, 25. And then we're going to end on uh, why we do these things. We're going to end the sermon here on the because in verses 19 to 21. So it's the exact same logic. I'm just going to restate it. I'm going to reverse the order. And, and you'll see why. I think this is going to help us. It's going to make the passage sink in for us, hopefully. So right away, I want you to notice this in these verses. You got a Bible, I need you to look at, look at the words with me here. Verses 22, 23, and 24, we can see right away. The same words, 
in, in each of these verses. It starts with let us, let us, let us. Now this is, these are verbs for the whole church. And the writer is saying these things, including himself. And let us, including me, he's saying. And what he says here is aspirational, okay? This is in the original grammar. We want, we want to do these things. That's the mood here. There's a, there, there, truly, there, there's, a, there's a team community spirit in what he's saying. It's like he's saying, come on, y'all, let's go. Come on, these are, we want to live this way together. That's what he's saying. And so that's, that's important. I want you to make sure you hear that tone through the passage. So verse, verse uh, 22, this is number one, verse 22. He's, come on, y'all. Let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, draw near is the main verb. And it means what it says. It means to come close. It means to approach. It means to move towards. Now, it's been a few months since we've been in Hebrews, so you, you may not remember this, but we've heard, we've heard this language before. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 7.19, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So this same idea of drawing near that we've seen repeatedly in Hebrews, that's what's being said here in chapter 10. This is a major theme in the book. We are called to draw near to God. And that's something that we as Christians always do. Once we are in Christ, we are forever increasingly moving further up and further in. The book of Leviticus is the blueprint for us here. We saw in the book of Leviticus last year that as the people of God, we, we need to remember that we are called to an Edenic movement, right? We're, we're moving toward Eden, a better Eden, a new Eden. We're moving lifeward, a lifeward movement. And we move in this direction. We move closer and closer to God with, verse 22, a true heart in full assurance of faith. Anybody in here have one of those hearts? How do you know if you have a heart like this? How do you know if you have a true heart in full assurance of faith? Well, the question is actually, it should be this. The question is, have you experienced God's promise in the new covenant? Because that's what he's referring to here. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, God promises, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. That's what the writer's thinking about here. He's thinking the same thing in verse 22 when he says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's, what's, what's he talking about? Well, he has the new covenant in mind, which he has already explained for us back in chapter 8. And I think most likely here he's thinking about Ezekiel chapter 36 in particular. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, 
right, the verse right before God promises to give members of the new covenant a new heart, God says, Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. So the repeated rituals of man having to cleanse himself, the new covenant says that's over. God has done that now. He has washed us, washed us in pure water. This is the new covenant. So basically the call to us in verse 22 is the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, come on, y'all. Let's, let's draw near to God with the promises of the new covenant as our reality, which means our hearts are now made new and true and clean. That's what he's saying. That's the first, the first thing we should do as Christians. Here's the second, verse 23. He says, come on, y'all, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And that verb there, to hold fast, is another theme in the book of Hebrews. We've heard this one before, too, back in chapter 4, verse 14. 414, let us hold fast our confession. Now, the word confession, confession, hope, confession of our hope is the same idea. The writer is talking about what we look forward to as Christians. This is our future. It's what God has promised to do, which is what we embrace now. Now, one really good example of this is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. And, and Clint prayed from Romans chapter 8. We didn't know this, but... Romans chapter 8 is really important when it comes to Christian hope. The great 8, Romans chapter 8. Paul describes there the future glory of all creation. He says that all creation, the entire world, will be set free from its bondage to decay. And we ourselves who are in Christ, we will receive the final and complete redemption of our bodies. He's talking about our, the, the final resurrection of our bodies, when our mortal bodies will put on immortality. No more disease, no more cancer or headaches or men's retreat, basketball aches and pains. You brothers doing okay? We played like, what, 20 on 20 Friday night? On a sheet of ice. I, thought, I hope you guys are okay. I, it was, it, I, our bodies are wearing out, okay? And we're vulnerable to all kinds of injuries and sicknesses. And, and the hope of Romans 8 is that our bodies one day, our bodies will be fully redeemed. Our salvation will be consummated like we're gonna be brand new and Paul says referring to that hope in Romans 8 24 for in this hope we were saved I gotta get this our our hope is not just in what Jesus gets us now 
Paul says in another place that if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So we don't hope in Jesus for present day perks. That's the problem of Mr. Buy-ins in Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Buy-ins, some of you know, that's his problem. See, Jesus, he never meant to be your ticket to win friends and influence people. Jesus died to save all of you for all time. Jesus died to save your life and your afterlife. That's our hopes. That's our hope. So come on, y'all. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope. And here's the reason why. This is why. For he who promised is faithful. There's a ground in here. There's a reason why we can hold fast to this hope. It's because the promiser of our future is faithful, which means that he always does what he says. And in fact, get this, uh, we could spend some time lingering over this. All the, all the blessings of our life in Christ now all started as promises. Our present blessings were once the future of past promises. And if God was faithful to fulfill those promises, which we enjoy now, he will be faithful to fulfill promises still here today. He's not done yet. And I think this is really important because look, let's be honest, we, can, we doubt, we doubt here. We have doubts here, right? Is, is Jesus really coming back? He said he's coming back. Is he really coming back? Because from our perspective in how we think about time, which is different than how God thinks, but for how we think about time, it's been a while. We, we think 1,993 years is forever. My kids think their school day is forever. Just... But we do, and what happens is because it's been so long and because we think it's been f forever, we, we think it's, it's taken God so long to fulfill this promise, I don't think he will. That's how we think. It's been so long, I don't think he will. And the writer of Hebrews would say, of course he will. See Old Testament. The, the Apostle Paul actually tells us that one of the purposes of the Old Testament is to give us instruction and examples and encouragement for our hope. Hebrews 11. Wait for Hebrews 11. All we have to do when it comes to our hope, to, to, to remember the faithfulness of God, is look at the book. Open the word of God. He who promised is faithful, and if he's done it before, he's going to do it again. 
So come on, y'all, let's, let's hold fast to the confession of our hope. Now, verse 24. Come on, y'all, let's consider one another to stir up, to spur on one another. Now, most uh, English translations say this a few different ways. Uh, the English Standard Version here, they says, let us consider how to stir up, stir up one another to loving good works. The New American Standard, instead of stir up, it says stimulate. Uh, other translations use words like motivate. I think the King James says provoke. Uh, the NIV says to spur on. All the same, all the same idea. But the word that I think we really need to focus on here, the word we need to really consider is that word consider. That's the main verb here. In the original, the, the, ver, the, ver, the verse goes like this. Let us consider one another to spur on or stir up. And, and this idea of consider, it doesn't mean to, you know, that this is something to put off and get to later. Hey, Dad, can I have your credit card so that I can go to the mall all day Saturday with some friends of a friend that you don't know? I'll consider it. <laughs> you see? Okay. I'm not saying no yet, but probably, right? That's not what this means here. This is not something that we're putting off to come back to later. The word here, consider, means to think about something carefully. It, it means to direct the mind towards something with concern, to really mull this over. And I love this. The word is actually used another time in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 3.1. Hebrews 3.1 goes like this. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So first in chapter three, the writer tells us to consider, to think carefully about Jesus. And now here in chapter 10, he tells us to consider, to think carefully about one another. And I just wanna say, to consider Jesus and to consider one another that's a good life, man. That's basically it, okay? That's, that's it right there. Focus on one another, he says in 24. Focus, consider, think carefully about particular people so that to spur them on to love and good works. And I think that this has all kinds of relevance for us when it comes to church community. Notice in verse 25 that in order for these Christians to consider one another, in order for these Christians to spur on one another, they have to get together. Imagine that. The writer, he spells it out. He says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but implied meet together, encouraging one another. And this is, this is also interesting because this word encouraging could also be translated exhorting, encouraging, exhorting. And in fact, 
This word is the word that's used in chapter 13, verse 33, when the writer says that he has written here a word of exhortation. Now, you may not remember this. When we started the, the, the series on Hebrews, we explained that most likely the book of Hebrews is an actual sermon from the early church, right? And if you, if you read the whole thing through, it's about 45 minutes, the, the book of Hebrews. So this is a sermon in the early church called a word of exhortation. So when it comes to this idea of exhorting, encouraging, there is the exhorting one another, which we're called to do every day, and especially when we gather together. And then there's a word of exhortation that refers to a sermon. And both of these happen when the church gets together, which means this, one of the most important actions that takes place on a Sunday morning is the words that we speak to one another. This is a gathering of words. They matter. There's this formal word of exhortation, encouragement, the sermon, this is what I'm doing now. There's this. But then there are the hundreds and hundreds of words that we all say to each other before this time and after this time. And all of that matters. In fact, those words are one of the reasons we do this. Isn't that amazing? One of the reasons we're here is because of the words that we have that we speak to encourage one another, this mutual encouragement. And the writer says we should gather and we should encourage one another all the more, verse 25, as you see the day drawing near. And he's talking here about the return of Jesus, when Jesus comes back. And we might think, well, how did he get there? Like, what's the connection? How did he go from talking about our Sunday church gatherings to then talking about the return of Jesus? Well, here's the connection. It's that when the church gathers for worship, when we gather for worship and mutual encouragement, what we're doing in this moment, when we do this, this gathering is actually an anticipation of that greater gathering that will happen one day in the new Jerusalem with the, the whole universal church from all time and all place. There's gonna be a big church service one day, okay? Like forever, okay? All of the people of God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will gather in worship. And this is what we do here. It's meant to point to that. It's a, a little foretaste of that. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying this, he's saying, hey, church, keep gathering together. Keep encouraging one another, especially as we get closer to heaven, which we get closer every day. We're closer today than we were yesterday. So keep, keep gathering together, church, for worship and encouragement because we're going to gather one day in the future, the whole church across all time and place. And the gathering here, what we're doing here is a little foreshadowing of that gathering then, which is wonderful. I think he'd also probably tell us that if you... <laughs> If you don't like 
getting together with other Christians now. You, you need to get practice, right? We need practice, right? Getting together with Christians because that's just like where all of world history is trending. And so, come on, y'all. <laughs> come on, y'all. Consider one another. How to spur one another on to love and good works. And there you go. Those are three things that we as Christians should do. As Christians, we are called to draw near. It's easy. We can draw near, hold fast, consider others. And those three things, you might be wondering, okay, is there any design, any relation between those three things? Why those three things in particular? Are those three things connected in some way? And this is fascinating. This, is, this was new for me. I did not know this when I was 20, among other things. Check this out. Listen to me read these verses again and see if you pick up what's being said here. Draw, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us consider one another to spur us on to love. Did you guys hear that? These three verses echo the cardinal graces of the Christian life, faith, hope, and love. Remember what, what the Apostle Paul says, and you guys know this verse, 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is Say it, love. Well, guess what? From verse 25 and onward in the book of Hebrews, the rest of this book is the application of considering one another to spur us on to love. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 is a hinge passage in the book of Hebrew, Hebrews overall. It marks the ending of one section and it sets at the beginning of a new section. And this new section is all about exhortation. It's the church's application of love for one another. And the reason that we've heard some of this language before in Hebrews, the draw near and the whole fast and the Jesus as our high priest, we've heard that before because Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 21 is basically repeating Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Because those two passages, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10, they're bookends. They're bookends to one really main section from chapter 5, verse 1, to chapter 10, verse 18. And our eyes are glazing over right now. Hang with me. The middle section here, from chapter 5 through chapter 10, that is the central theological argument of the book of Hebrews. Like that is the, that is the, the heart of the book of Hebrews theologically. And so we should ask, well, what is that heart? What is the main point of that central theological argument in the book of Hebrews? Well, see, that's, that's actually what Hebrews 10, 19 to 21 is summarizing. Okay, get ready for this, okay? 19 to 21 is encapsulating 
the whole of five to 10, okay? So remember again, we reverse the order, all right? Just, we started with verses 22 to 25 with what we should do, but now verses 19 to 21 tell us why we should do these things. Verses 19 to 21 give us the because, and this because is a three verse summary of the theological heart of the book of Hebrews. It pulls it all together. Listen to this, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, now here's the one, two, three. See, now this is what we do. It all comes back to the central theme in this book that Jesus Christ, by his high priestly ministry and by his sacrifice, he gives us access to the presence of God. That's the book. Notice the two things here that we have. I, I, am, I am so happy I get to preach this. I, I am so happy to preach this. Look at this. I'm just telling you what the text text says. Look at verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Verse 21, we have a great priest. These two things we have are, are two things that have been explained to us more than anything else in chapters five to 10. He's talking about the sacrificial death of Jesus and the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And these are not separate things. They're two aspects of the same thing. And if there's, I think, if there's only one lasting change that would happen in us from the book of Hebrews, I'd want it to be that that we always think about the death of Jesus with him being our high priest. I, I want us to remember the high priestly ministry of Jesus. That's verse 21. Look at verse 21. We have a great priest over the house of God. A priest, okay, this is, not, this is not something Jesus can do. This is not a side gig. This is his office. Jesus is our great high priest. And so everything he does, he does as our high priest. And that means chapters five, as chapters five and seven tell us, Jesus as our high priest, he knows what it's like to be you. He can sympathize with you and your weakness and and all the things that make life in this world hard. Jesus knows it, he knows it all. And he's going to save you anyway, all the way. Jesus plays for keeps. And his promise to save you, to bring you home, to finish what he started, that promise is as indestructible as his life. 
Because Jesus is our high priest, as long as Jesus is alive, we will be saved completely. Everything that has to do with our salvation is now bound up in the realness and the aliveness of Jesus. He is who he is right now, and he will be that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and forever. He's not going anywhere. He's not changing. He doesn't quit. And that's why we're going to see him one day. We have, we presently have, and will always have a great priest. And this great priest made a great sacrifice. That's what the writer is talking about in verse, verses 19 and 20. You see there in verse 19 that he mentions blood. You guys see the word blood there in verse 19? By his blood. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. And then he expands what he means in the next sentence in verse 20. He says, by the blood of Jesus, and he implies, when I say by the blood of Jesus, I mean by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. He's telling us here what the blood of Jesus has accomplished. And it's Levitic. this is Levitical. We really can't understand the, the, the depths of this without the book of Leviticus. So let's think back to Leviticus in the temple, or just think back to Hebrews chapter 9, because he explained this for us in chapter 9. The temple was the center of Jewish life. And in the temple, there were two sections. There was the holy place, and then there was the most holy place. The most holy place. That was the place where the direct, terrifying, awesome presence of God dwelled. And what separated the most holy place from everything else was a curtain. It was so holy in the most holy place behind the curtain that nobody could go there. The presence of God was too awesome. No one could go there except a high priest. That high priest went there only once a year on the Day of Atonement. He was the only one, only once a year, who could go behind the curtain. But now, by his blood, by his death, Jesus has opened the curtain. When Jesus died, the curtain died. That's the point. The curtain has been done away with. It's no more. And that's what's loaded in this phrase in verse 19. The very first verse. We've worked our way all the way to the top. The very first verse, verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, the ESV translates uh, that word holy places. The Greek word is just the holies. And the text is referring to here, the writer's talking about the most holy place. The NIV, if you read the NIV, it translates as the most holy place. I think that's right. That's what is being referred to here. So get this, by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrificial death of Jesus that got rid of the curtain, we have confidence 
to enter the most holy place of God. And that sentence in verse 19 is pretty simple, right? But this is actually one of the most radical truths in the entire Bible. Jewish believers would have been stunned to hear that. And a lot of it has to do with this word confidence. This word confidence. This is a great word in the New Testament. has a range of meanings. It's already been used in Hebrews 4.16, but I wanna, we need to be sure about the meaning here in 10.19. I, I was asking the kids, uh, talking about Hebrews 10, I asked the kids this week over dinner, I said, hey guys, what does, what does the word confidence mean? And one of the boys spoke up right away. He said, it means to believe in yourself. I said, yes, that's what we typically think confidence means. That's not what it means at all in Hebrews 10, 19. That's good though. It does not mean, no, it does not mean that, okay? That's not what he's saying. In Hebrews 10, 19, when the writer says we have confidence, another way to say it is that we have access. The, the confidence here is objective, not subjective. It's fact, not feeling. He doesn't say we feel confident. He says we have confidence. We possess this. And so scholars have said that uh, another way to translate that word is to say we have freedom or we have access or freedom of access or we have authorization. And I like that word. I like the word authorization. Because I think authorization, it nails the idea here. The writer is saying that we now, us, we, us, we have authorization to enter the most holy place. And what he means by that is we have authorization to be in the direct and awesome presence of God, which is no longer in an earthly physical temple like it once was. That's not, there's brick and mortar, that's, we're done. That was a shadow. The temple, the earthly physical temple was a shadow. The real temple is a heavenly temple. Heaven is where God is, and we have access there. We have access to God. So I've got, I've got this friend, and I won't tell you his name. But one of the things I love about hanging out with this friend is that he, he's always creative with having fun places to go. Right, he always knows like the best restaurant, the coolest place, and he's always. And so he's, he, I love hanging out with him. And there was just one time we were hanging out uh, in a in a city, which I also won't name. And uh, we're hanging out, and sure enough, he's like, "Hey, I just I got no place." And apparently, there was this uh, this brand new uh, restaurant that opened uh, on a rooftop, and it was supposed to be a really good restaurant and have like the best views of the city. And he's like, "We got to go to this place." Only problem was that. It was, it was part of a hotel. And in order to have access to the rooftop restaurant, you had to be a guest at the hotel, which we were not. But he said, it's fine, don't worry, come with me, follow me. And so of course I, I did that. And, and somehow, uh, I'll skip some details. We wind up in an elevator crowded with hotel guests and we're going up. 
And as we're riding this thing up, we're just crossing our fingers that one of the people on this elevator has a key to the rooftop, and that's where they're going. And sure enough, (laughs) you know, I'm, you know, sweating and whatnot. And and we're going up, and the doors open, and there it is, the rooftop restaurant. And it's cool, man. It's beautiful. We stepped out. Did not disappoint. Best views of the city. Great food. We hung out for about, I don't know, an hour or two. And I, I, as great as it was, I can't, I can't say that I had a good time. Because the whole time we were there, I kept thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. My conscience is as tender as ketchup, you know. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for someone to call. I don't know how they would do it. But I, the whole time I had this sense of I, I don't. I don't belong here. Christian, I just want you to know, you should never feel that way about the presence of God. You can go there. We can enter God's presence. And one day physically, we will enter God's presence, his direct and awesome presence. We will be with him because we have authorization. We have access. Get this, get this. We belong behind the curtain. That's the book of Hebrews. We belong behind the curtain. How? That's the, how is that so? How do we have that right? How do we have authorization to be close to God in his direct and awesome presence that nobody like us could ever experience before? How? The blood. The blood Our high priest who lives forever and who lives even right now, he has applied the blood for us. And the blood that he has applied is his own. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has gone before us, which means now everywhere Jesus can go, we can go. And as he goes, he waves the key of his sacrificial death. They belong here. They're with me, says Jesus, our great priest. We have, we have, we have authorization to be with God. Therefore, Let us, let us, let us, faith, hope, and love. And that's what brings us to the table. When we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are remembering the blood of Jesus, right? Literally. We are remembering the death of Jesus for us that nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That not for good that I have done, 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Nothing, 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 nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that is your hope this morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus, we invite you to eat and drink with us and give him thanks. We're gonna serve the bread first. I want you guys just to retain it, hold it. Then I'll come back up and we'll eat the bread all together and then we'll do the cup. Uh, his body is the true bread. Let us serve you.